How many of you have ever studied the book of Obadiah? Anyone? Anyone studied the book of Obadiah? No one? How many of you have read it? Few of you, because I know there's a few of you that have gone through and read the Bible all the way through. Evaluations. How many of you like to be evaluated? No one? Well, guess what? I didn't think Lou was going to be here, but I'm going to talk about you, Lou. A few years ago, Lou came to me, and he said, Kurt, something I'd like you to do for me. I'd like you to hold me accountable for my Christian walk. That's a pretty big uh, statement to make. And I told him, Lou, I'm just the guy to do it. <laughs> nah. Have I said any one thing, Lou, yet? Have I evaluated you yet? Probably not. Lou's a good man. But a pretty bold statement to ask someone to hold you accountable. Now, in turn, I said, Lou, you can hold me accountable, too. And he told me a few things. <laughs> I'm like an open book. What you see is what you get. I don't try to hide things. The only one that might know something about me is my wife. And uh, fortunately, she has an ethics closet. She can't say anything against me. So that's a good thing. But I want to read to you that you know, evaluations happen a lot with people, right? With your job, you know, they always want to make sure you're doing, having a good performance at your work, that you're happy. You know, many times I've heard people say, well, I had a stellar evaluation. There's always, someone can always find something wrong that you do, right? Always something. There's a list here of a young man in the army that he was being evaluated. And the evaluation, these are some of the things, probably some phrases in here that you wouldn't want on your evaluation. It says that his men would follow him anywhere, but only out of curiosity. This officer should go far. And the sooner he starts, the better. He has constantly exceeded the low standards he has set for himself. Since my last report, he has reached rock bottom and has started digging. This officer has illusions of adequacy. Works well under constant supervision and cornered like a rat in a trap. These are probably some evaluation remarks that you wouldn't want to hear, right? On your evaluation. Evaluations are like warnings. And that's what Obadiah is doing here. He's warning Israel. 
He's trying to wake up Israel to what they're doing wrong. And he's trying to make a few points. And so as he starts to warn Israel, we ask ourselves again, how many of us like evaluations? How many of us like to be told that we are wrong? None of us want to be told that we are wrong. But you know, God, that's how God lets us know. He has to tell us what we're doing wrong. But then he lays out a plan for which we can follow to keep things right. And that's in the word of God, right? He lays out a plan for us. Praise God for that. We don't, we're not just out there wandering in the wilderness. He has a plan for us. And that's what he's telling them here in the book of Obadiah. He wants to restore Israel. And what he's saying here is that uh, if you don't, if you don't heed my words and, and turn away from sin... I can do no other but carry out punishment. He doesn't do it with a, with a heart of gladness. He does it to turn us from sin. Just a few notes about Obadiah. Obadiah's name is servant of God. Around this time in the Hebrew nation, there was probably 12 different people that had the name Servant of God. And so we can't really pinpoint who, which Obadiah that it was. We note that in the book of Obadiah that it is the shortest book in the Old Testament. And most experts and theologians believe that he was living in the time of Ezekiel, I mean of Jeremiah, excuse me. And there's one thing that we notice that Obadiah, he delivers his message, and he's gone. We don't hear from him again. It's done. You see, another key point to Obadiah's the word of the prophecy is that it's about the power of God. You see, the power of God, here, here we have this, this thing with the children of Israel. They were going through a rough patch around the time that Obadiah was speaking. They were, they were going through a lot of hard times. And they started thinking in such a way as, you know, does God have the power to deliver us from what we're going through? These are thoughts that they're having. And they wondered, where is God? How many of us have ever, when our, in the true lows of our lives, have wondered, where is God? Why hasn't he delivered me from the troubles that I'm having? Some of you today might be there sitting in your pew wondering, why am I losing my home? Why don't I have a job? 
Why did my wife leave me? What is going on? Where is God? Where is his power? Today we heard testimonies of power through prayer and how things have happened and changed and things are made. And we can see God there. Hopefully that brings you some comfort. But Obadiah was trying to say to the children of Israel, you guys don't understand. God isn't on your timetable. God has this master plan, and he knows from beginning to end what is going to happen, and he knows the best ways for our lives. Why can't we wait, be patient, and let God be in control? That's what Obadiah is talking to the children of Israel. And now I'm talking to you as individuals. God hasn't left us. He's always here. He's ready to perform and do great miracles in your lives. But he has a plan. And that plan, whatever you're going through, is going to make you stronger, better, We don't see it yet, but God does. And so that's what Obadiah was trying to bring to this message to the children of Israel as they were going through this rough patch. It was in like 456 B.C. Many of uh, Obadiah's stern words is about the Edom. And the Edomites come from Esau. And Esau and Jacob had been battling their whole lives over the birthright, over the blessing, constantly battling. It was foretold. I'd invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis 25, starting with verse 19. Maybe some of you mothers can kind of relate. Verse 19 says, This is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel and Araman from Paddan, Aram, and sister of Leban and Araman. Isaac prayed to the Lord on the behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her womb and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire. Now I'm thinking to myself, you know, me not ever being pregnant, how could, uh, you know, is this quite common with a, you know, I've heard, you know, my wife says, oh, the baby's kicking, come feel, you know. But, you know, you go feel a little kick. But I guess there must have been something extraordinary about what was going on with inside that womb, like there was some kind of punching match going on or boxing match going on, I don't know. But she thought it was rather strange. 
I read on. She wanted to know why this was happening to her, and she inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said this to her. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples within you will be separated, and one people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. And when it came time for her to give, up, to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. And so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, and with a hand grasping Esau's heel, so he named, was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth. So there, here's this prophecy. The younger brother will be over the older. Now in that time, did that happen very often? Who was it? The older brother got the blessing, right? Got the blessing, had the birthright, and he was leader of the tribe. But the prophecy was foretold. When they got older, what happened? You guys know the story, right? He sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. He was out hunting and running around. Have you ever gone in? Think about this for a moment, because I know I've done it. Have you ever, as a child, came home from school and told your mother, Mother, if I don't get something to eat, I know I'm going to die. You know, you play the theatrics. I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. Well, that's what he did. They talked about the birthright. He says, hey, whatever you want, just give me a bowl of soup. He was so hungry, lentil soup. So he sold his birthright. And then he connived to get the blessing, didn't he? Esau was so hairy that he tied what? Wool's lamb on his clothing, went into his father. The father felt how hairy he was, said, okay, you're Esau, and gave him the blessing, gave Jacob the blessing. More fuel to the fire. How would you feel? if your brother did that to you. Now many of us today, think about this for a moment. Many of us today have uncles, aunts. Many families have little feuds. And to this day, I have one uncle that we just don't see. And you know what? I don't know if he likes it or whatever, but I can't remember what the feud was about. You know, it's for generations. You know, my uh, father's cousin, and we, you know, we don't know why. I, I, I ask, you know, what was the feud about? Well, I, uh, I don't remember. Maybe they just don't want to tell me, I don't know. But feuds go on, and that's the same way it was with Esau and Jacob. The feud just kept going on. But Esau's heart, had so much hatred in it for his brother that that's where this prophecy carried on. 
And that's what Obadiah is talking about. Esau and Jacob were far removed now. They're far removed from the situation. They died a long time ago. But the nations still quarreled. It goes on to talk about how Esau and his nations lived in the clefts of the rocks, in the caves. And they thought that they were all mighty and powerful and that no one could reach them or touch them. You see, in verse 3, it talks about Esau and the pride that this nation had. The pride that they had within themselves, that they were self-sufficient, that they could do it on their own, and the wisdom of the world they could use, and they forgot the wisdom of God. And because of that, these rebukes come down to them for seeking worldly advice and not God. Today, do we seek worldly advice? Do we listen to people that do not believe in God and listen to them and listen to them on TV and elsewhere? And Where do we hold in our heart? When we plan for where we're going to go to school, who we're going to marry, when we plan for where we're going to live, who we're going to marry, did we seek God? Or did we kind of leave it to ourselves? These are the questions that many of us need to ask ourselves. Archaeologists discovered Petra in 1812, going through a, a little curve in the rocks and then the open these huge gateways into temples and up on the cliffs where they lived. They looked down on people. And God mentioned to them saying, hey, wh why is it? Why is it that you're looking down on your brother, Israel? Why are you looking down on them and being happy because they're having problems and being happy because they were swept away by Nebuchadnezzar? So happy in f that they went down and looted their houses. That's how happy they were to take away. And God's saying, because you did this, you're doomed as a nation. Because you looked down on your brother and didn't help. How many of us today, when there's people that we're mad at and bad things might happen to them, are we not happy that they get their just desserts? This is kind of the way that God saw that Edom was doing against Israel. You see, we're supposed to love our brothers and hate the sin. God wants us to love and care for our brothers and sisters and to pray and to lift up and to be held accountable by godly people, not those that would care to do us harm or laugh when bad befalls us. You see, we as a Christian people, we as a church, we as God's people are held to a higher standard. And we cannot do any of this without God, of course. He's the one that brings the love within us to carry that out. In verse 15 in Obadiah, 
The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your head. It kind of sounds like the golden rule, doesn't it? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Here he's telling them, hey, your deeds, those deeds that you are doing are going to come back to you. What he's saying here is that if you're with me, if you have my love, if you have my compassion within your heart, what's going to come back to you? The same. Love, compassion, it's what we put out from God's love. These are the things that God will restore to us. God wants us to live that life, that kind of life, that kind of joy, that kind of love. This should put a smile on our face from ear to ear for everyone to see. Even when we're going through terrible conflicts and things are going bad, we should still be able to smile because God's love and because we know that he's going to take care of us and love us and see us through. Just a, just a note that I thought was interesting. Jesus appeared before an Edomite. Herod was an Edomite. And Jesus was brought before his court. And they mocked our Lord with personal disgrace and exile. You see, pride was still going on then within the Edomites, even though they had been scattered and no longer a nation, there was still a few descendants that were in high power. You see, even though it seemed highly unlikely to Israel at the time, verse 21, deliverers will go, on, will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. You see, Israel would come and take over on Mount Zion, in Jerusalem. They had a hard time seeing it. But the prophet wanted to encourage them, even though all the things that they've gone through, even all the things that we go through, God wants to tell us and proclaim from the mountaintop and shout it out in a high voice, with tones unbelievable, that so much that it pierces within the inner soul, that he is coming again to bring us home to save us, to save us from this world of, of corruption, to bring us out so that we can have peace, peace at last. So don't lose heart. Don't give up. God has a master plan for your life. Be patient. On the back of a forest truck, it said this. It says, on the rear of the forest delivery truck, which read, drive carefully, or the next load of flowers may be for you. What does this mean? God's word. We need to heed the warnings and the warning signs. We need to claim the promises that God has for us. You see, God wants us to stand strong. And if we as a church unite in prayer and study, these seats will be filled. If we do the things that God has for us to do within our heart, 
the love, kindness, this place will be filled. So my words to you today is this. Heed the warning of Obadiah. He's crying out to you today. Be patient because God is with you. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this minor prophet, Lord, who spoke out to the children of Israel to give them hope in a God that hadn't lost power, but a God of great strength of over all things. Father, may each of us claim that power today in our lives. May the Spirit of God go out right now and prepare the hearts of the people that we come in contact with, that our hearts might be filled with such joy that God's love shows out, shows through us that all men might be drawn to him. So, Father, be with us now as a church. On this Sabbath, may each of us ponder the thoughts of Obadiah. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.